0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Yay. We Hello, are Dragon here. Talk. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined by Shelley Moo. Hello. How's it going? In this
1: great, beautiful, sunny summer day coming at you from Seattle.
0: Yeah. And we've got a sunny summer guest today. Uh, Mary Robinette Cole here is joining us. She's an author. Um, She's an
1: award-winning author.
0: Award-winning
1: author. Yes.
0: You may remember her dirty. mentioned on a previous episode of Dragon Talk uh, when we spoke to David and Hope Spears, one of our special uh, Extra Life episodes we recorded. Uh, and they yeah. told a, a, a funny little anecdote of meeting Mary Robinette at an uh, event in their building uh, and exchanged stuff about D&D. So we're excited to talk to her about her love of D&D and how it all started.
1: See, D&D fans are everywhere. You never know. You could be standing next to one right now as you listen to this podcast. Yes. Uh, So maybe unplug your your earphones and blast Dragon Talk and see who turns around and says, hey, I also love D&D.
0: I also love the many voices of Shelley Mazinobel.
1: And I also love Greg Tito's hair, which now in quarantine is
0: swoopy. It's all swoopy today, and I I I like it. I have a lot of wings. Like if I if you know right now it's slicked back, but if it is untouched for a couple of days, it has these things where they wing out uh, several. It feels like several feet. (laughs) I mean, the flying nun.
1: You are like centimeters away from a a little tiny man bun. If you chose to go that route.
0: It's true. It's true. I mean, I don't know.
1: When you're home and you're just kicking back around the house, maybe you do put it up in a little man bun.
0: I don't. It's too... I don't need to yet. Uh, But eventually, when it starts falling into my face, uh, there might need to be some binding.
1: Or maybe like a nice little headband, like you could borrow from one of your daughters.
0: I mean that's why I am wearing this headset right now. It doubles. You <laughs> do wear headband. it all the time. <laughs> I do. I wear. I, I'm ready to record a dragon target. A drop of a hat.
1: Yep. Just always keep those headphones on. Um, I love we it.
0: Are excited to uh, not only talk to Mary Robinette today, but also uh, get everyone listening uh, excited about "Rime of the Frost Maiden," uh, Icewind Dale yes. colon "Rime of the Frost Maiden," the adventure we unveiled at D and D Live. 2020 rolled Advantage uh, last month, Um, and I want to recommend all of you to go to the YouTube channeled page for Dungeons & Dragons and watch all of the amazing games and announcements throughout that entire event, Um, all focused on previewing uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and what it's going to be all about.
1: There is a lot of great content there. There is... uh... The The Cast of Thrones game that Kate Welch DM'd. Oh my gosh, that was so fun! I just laughed for two straight hours. The comedians game, uh, which was that also DM'd by Kate. That was also it was Kate's. yeah. Um, the The WWE game DM'd by uh, Jeremy Crawford. Like I love them. I I just love watching them play. There is just so much genuine love and enthusiasm with that group, and Quinn just anytime. He that pops up on the screen. He is right there watching it because his two favorite wrestlers are in it. Xavier Woods and Ember Moon.
0: That's awesome. Um they're also my mm-hmm. two favorite wrestlers.
1: There have you uh speaking of wrestlers, have you watched the big show show on uh Netflix?
0: We have we have a whole bunch. Uh it we is, have it well. is very good. But we've been watching very Hamilton charming. as well as the Babysitters Club. Uh on Netflix is also very good.
1: Yeah, we, we're going to need a new show now that the big show show is we've it's run its course, but oh. very popular in our house. Um, the floor is lava, also a very good um, family friendly show.
0: Yes, very good. Uh, and another uh, family friendly activity out there that will be coming uh, on July twenty seventh. What might that be? July twenty fourth. Sorry,
1: I'm f- feeling like um, it could be something to do with a haunted house and a uh, a group of meddling kids.
0: Oh, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling <laughs> kids.
1: Jankies!
0: <laughs> uh, Could it, is- it
1: be Betrayal at Mystery Mansion?
0: Scooby-Doo! Exclamation point. Yes. Betrayal at Mystery Manson. Manson? Come <laughs>
1: Man- oh, Marilyn that's Manson? not a kid-friendly game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's awesome. Uh, 25 brand new haunts based on Scooby-Doo episodes uh, and, yes. and storylines. Like, that's, that's pretty great.
1: Yes, it is. And um, this is a game that was designed for a younger audience or even a newer audience. If you've never played a Betrayal game, it's a great introduction regardless of, of how old you may be. Um, mm. But if you want to play Betrayal with your kids you can do that now because it's completely family friendly and we have have uh, done a pass on the rules that makes it way more appropriate for uh, those younger audiences like you don't nobody's just going to like turn into the, the trader like that's uh, there's adults that that don't like when that part happens they're like i don't mm. want to like go against the rest of the group and figure it out on my own now you get to choose, and you're actually a monster, not a traitor. Nobody dies in the game. You might get knocked out for a turn, but then you can come back in. And there's That's Scooby good. Snacks. So, I mean, what, go what's not to love? You cannot go wrong with Scooby Snacks.
0: I mean, I don't know how you couldn't have just landed on the, the marketing phrase of like, betray your children with this game.
1: <laughs> I'm... That's kind of the subtext.
0: Of yeah, yes. right. You can do drag
1: it. your children into a haunted house and then leave <laughs> them there. <laughs> <laughs> we would never, never.
0: Well, I hope dungeon masters around the world are dragging their players into the mythic odysseys of Theros, uh, which oh, has been out digitally. 100%. For the last uh, few weeks, but it is now going to be out in uh, amazing two physical covers uh, from your local game store um, on July 21st. So that's coming up very soon, and uh, I love these two covers. The one uh, standard one by Jason Rainville is spectacular, uh, but the alt cover uh, by Kevin Tong is oh. mo- probably one of my favorite uh, covers that we've put out for for a Dungeons and Dragons book uh, recently, just because it feels so. Different, but also vibrant. It is. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff in this book. I haven't actually jumped into the digital version. I'm waiting for the physical version because that's just how I, I, I like to, to, to consume these things. But what I have read of it makes me want to run a classical-themed campaign around you know deities. And all the conversations that I've had with with Adam Lee and Ari Leavage about their work on this book um, just makes me really excited for it.
1: Yes. And you've had those conversations right here on Dragon Talk.
0: That's right. But if that's you want true. more
1: information on that, you should go back to the archives and you Listen should find those interviews.
0: To some previous lore, you on those because they have a lot on yeah. of the, cool, the cool deities that are presented there. And then, you know, you can always, as always, take these uh, themes and mechanics and, you know, place them whole cloth into your world or, you know, piecemeal or use them as jumping off points to create, you know, similar things. Uh, that's a lot of the big reason why we like uh, presenting different worlds in uh, Dungeons and Dragons is to inspire uh, all of you homebrew dungeon masters out there. So I hope you uh, jump in and do that once this comes out physically at your local game store on July twenty first. Okay, now
1: yes, do it. You're gonna love it.
0: You're gonna love it. You're gonna love gonna the way love you it. look.
1: <laughs> I guarantee. <it>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's all we got wow. for now We are gonna uh, right. jump to our segment right? Let's uh, listen to what we've got going on And then we'll be back with our interview With Mary Robinette Kowal <laughs> Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know uh, Today I am joined by Ari Levich. Hi Ari Hello and we are going to go over uh, some fun little tidbits of D and D lore that you can use uh, in your game uh, if you're running uh, something for Mystic Odysseys of Theros, which comes out in physical form on July 21st. Uh, Sorry, get-
2: uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros.
0: Oh, what did I say? Mystic. Mystic. <laughs> I I guess that comes from uh, growing up next to Mystic, Connecticut, Connecticut uh, where they had <laughs> Mystic Pizza uh, and all that stuff. So, sorry about that. Yep. It's, it's the magic connection. I always, you know, of course, it's mythic, <laughs> not mystic. Uh, but quick, let's change all the titles and all the books yep, uh, that it. are going to be... That's the easier thing. <laughs> 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 Do a recall, and then we'll... We'll uh, get them into game stores. I'm very excited about these two covers uh, that are available. They look amazing. Uh, oh, they I'm do. Hoping,
2: yeah.
0: I'm hoping people can jump into a classical uh, Greek-inspired, themed world uh, for their D&D game. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a version of Dungeons & Dragons that is not played very often. You know, It's a departure from the medieval fantasy. Uh, and so I'm excited about um, what could be a possibility here. Uh, and one of the most fascinating things is the deities and the gods that were ins- also inspired by, uh, uh, you know, the kind of the Greek deities of the time. Um, and we've gone over them a couple of times with uh, Adam Lee and you, Ari, on uh, Some Lore You Should Know. And today we're going to concentrate on uh, uh, Heliod. Heliod? Heliod.
2: Heliod, Heliod, either one is a pro- is fine.
0: Um I will tell you my one of my go-to decks in Magic Arena right now is a all mono white deck with uh the Heliod uh enchantment creature as you know kind of the big bad. That can get uh, out of control really fast.
2: Yeah.
0: It it really can. Uh they're super fun. Uh but what uh what what is the god Heliod all about? What is what is his domain so or, or portfolio?
2: I kind of want to just kind of uh talk a little bit about why I'm choosing to talk about Heliod, and then uh, you know afterwards we're going to talk about uh, a few different gods. I kind of wanted to uh, open up a conversation about the gods associated with civilization. right? You talked mm. about the idea of like Theros being inspired by Greek mythology, and there's like the Greek polis and uh, the sense of, kind of, uh, of, of high art and civilization. So I wanted to kind of talk about how uh, the, the, the magic team created these gods and how to evoke that sense. And so um, I wanted to start by uh, kind of reminding everyone how deities come to be, how they draw, draw power, and what they do for the people. And then I'm going to jump into talking about about Heliod as one of these, these gods. So on Theros, one of the, its kind of unique properties as a world is that collective belief over generations and generations can actually manifest um, in, in reality. And gods... Are, are manifestations of what people believe um, as, as concepts. Um, there's this thing in Theros uh, called Nix, which is where these these abstract forms take shape. And through, if you look at kind of the history of of mortals, these gods kind of arrived in tears. And so you have these kind of proto-gods that are associated with, like, with time and, you know, and these overarching patterns. Then you have uh, gods associated more as, as human beings start to kind of coalesce into societies, start to take on um, attributes of governance, of, you know, building and structures and, and farming and agriculture. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the gods associated with that. Mm -hmm. The first god I want to talk about is Heliod, who of course is, I'm going to start with the exception, because Heliod is from an older generation of gods um, who is associated with the sun. So he is the the god of the sun, but the way he uh, touches civilization is that he's also kind of this god of of forthrightness. You could imagine the sun that is shedding light on everything, that it is not obscuring things. And so there's this sense of being forthright. And that kind of uh, spills over into Heliod being this god of oaths upheld. And so in courtrooms, and trials, it is, you know, you, you, take, you take oaths, uh, you invoke Heliod's name to invoke uh, the truth. Uh, so it's an interesting concept that this god of the sun, this god of uh, oaths of hell that you know every day the sun is going to rise and it's going to set and so is there's this sense of consistency and so that's that, that consistency of character is something that Heliod also represents
0: um, uh, that makes total sense I did not connect that 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 it is light being brought to truth in a way, right? Like and that's what he's uh, all about. Is that him as, as a personality as well or
2: so Heliod has kind of a self aggrandizing personality. The idea of being this brilliant god, you know, with the with the sun shining on them, that they are oftentimes depicted as the source of this brilliance. Mm. That they kind of buy into this. Um, Heliod has the benefit of being because of the you know the the, the prevalence of the sun in 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 society in civilization. Uh, Heliod is worshipped essentially across Theros. So he has worshippers everywhere, um, and that kind of gives him this sense that. He is the king of the pantheon, that he is the king of the gods, the ruler. When in fact there isn't any kind of like ordained ruler of the gods, but they see themselves as, as the, that role befits them as, the, mm. as this source of brilliance. And it has actually kind of uh, put them at odds with other gods who, who dislike that. There is the god that Adam talked about, Purphoros, this god of the forge, this creator god. And Heliod, uh, in one of the kind of the myths of these gods, Heliod approached Perforos and tried to convince convince this god that, hey, you know, I am this kind of brilliant figure. Um, I want you to, with your your uh, your powers of crafting, to reshape Nyx in my image, reshape the heavens in my image. And Perforos had none of it, and instead crafted a sword called Godsend, and um, actually battled Heliod with it. Ended up kind of causing uh, all these other problems because the sword ended up uh, tearing a hole in the fabric of Nix itself and all these other shenanigans ensued. But it's this idea that Heliod sees himself as the rightful ruler. Um, and even if the other gods don't acknowledge it, he acts as though he is that ruler.
0: Right. So it's not um, like uh, Zeus in which, you know, he, he, he'd overthrown uh, his father and therefore, you know, crowned himself kind of king uh, and everybody... Was like, all right. Well, you led the rebellion, so now you're in charge. Um, none of that happened. It was just he just assumes as if he has that command, and there was no tacit agreement from any of the other deities.
2: Right. Such is is such is his arrogance. Yes. I mean, and for for his faults, he does he does believe in concepts of justice and rightness, but he's kind of absorbed in his own sense of those things. If that makes mm. sense.
0: Yeah blinded um, um, you know justice is blind yeah
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no it, that's interesting and you could play a lot with that with the idea of a blinding sun and you could you can imagine how all of these types of things can can spill out into uh into how people might see uh see heliod
0: yeah and i can see characters uh you know be, uh, who venerate heliod as being you know that kind of that paladin stereotype of like i am just all about the righteousness mm-hmm. and then you know that that could be questioned throughout the course of a campaign as to, well, are these actually righteous things that you're doing? You know, just because you're, you know, saying and doing what your superiors tell you, uh, who may have more of a connection with Heliod, is that, you know, is that right and good all the time? And I, uh, there's a lot of storytelling that can be done in that space.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting that you you bring that up about kind of people who follow Heliod. Heliod is very active in seeking out champions, of um, mm. like these these chosen figures that can that can do those things of, of of not just promoting Heliod, but promoting the things that Heliod stands for. Um, some of the prominent figures in the storyline have been champions of Heliod for good and ill. Like these things, they, they don't always go the you know. There's a tragedy involved in it as well often.
0: Yeah, is, uh, I just have a kind of personal question. Daxos is a card that's in my deck. Yes. Uh, and I've always wondered, like, I know there's a story behind uh, this character. What is it?
2: So, uh, as an aside, for those of you who are, who are following Magic story, Daxos um, in the original kind of Thero storyline was an oracle who is was unique in that they could uh, sp- they, all the gods could speak through through Daxos. They weren't associated with a particular god uh, at least mm. initially. Um, they got wrapped up in the storyline in the original storyline with the a champion of Heliod, Elspeth Terrell who was also um, a planeswalker, which is a a different thing entirely a magic specific thing. I'm not going to go that rabbit hole. No worries. Um, but Daxos, um, is killed, uh, in the course of that story. And like all mortals who are killed, he goes to the underworld. Um, he ends up becoming a returned. So he actually does kind of, uh, cross the rivers of the underworld and returns to the mortal realm as, as a returned. But in the, um, the story, the latest storyline of Theros beyond death, um, He's returned to life, actually like brought back as a chosen um, demigod of Heliod. And a demigod oh. is somebody who uh, is, is something that was introduced in this la- latest set of Theros, that these are handpicked people from the past who had died to come back and serve as their champions again.
0: Oh, okay. So, I mean, you can really, even as a as and d campaign, you can play with that idea if you're a champion of a god and and, you know, tpks happen uh you know then there's a whole opens up the whole underworld uh you know there's all those great myths of 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 going down into underworld to f- to, to bring back yeah. people uh and it's i love that that's baked into uh you know mythic odysseys of theros that you there's there's stuff that you can do with that
2: yeah dan dylan did a lot of uh fun work on the underworld section uh in in uh in mythic odysseys and uh excuse me uh and so there, there's a lot of fruit there too. If you wanted to do that kind of journey through the underworld, there's a lot of stuff to play with there.
0: Very cool. Um, um,
2: so, yeah, I just I want mean, to talk more, about, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. About the underworld, um, I'm not going to get too much into this god now, maybe maybe another time. The uh, god of the dead, the, the ruler of the underworld is a god named Erebos. And there's a great uh, kind of myth uh, that's also featured in the book, but it, it talks about the emergence of both Heliod and Erebos kind of at the same time. So Heliot is the god of the sun. And when when Heliot emerged, uh he looked down and saw his own shadow that was cast by by his own sun, Okay, by the sun in the sky. Mm-hmm. And he was so kind of kind of disgusted and fearful of the shadow that he cast it down to the underworld. And that shadow became Erebos, the god of the dead. Um and that's one of the, kind of the myth, the mythic origins of these gods.
0: I love that. I love but that. It also All right. So Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so Heliod, uh, you know, is is connected to civilization that way. How is uh, uh, Afara uh, connected to civilization? She actually is the god of the polis, right? Goddess of the polis. Uh,
2: Yeah. Yeah. So Afara is the god of the polis. Um, She is associated with things like law and philosophy, um, architecture, scholarship. She's also the uh, she gave magic essentially to the mortals of the polis Miletus to overthrow kind of this archon tyrant so particularly in Miletus, though in 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 many of the polises or Poles, to do the correct plural um <laughs> in many of the Poles, she has this special uh place as as the supporter of the endeavor of civilization right of keeping the wilds at bay keeping chaos at bay this is what she is about so oftentimes, if there are when city walls are built, the the uh, the face of Afara might be built into it as well, or a sculpture of it might be built into the wall as this sign of that she is the protector of civilization. Um, she uh, helped with the with the founding of Letus as I mentioned, as kind of so okay I'll, I'll get into that myth a little bit it's not really a myth it's, it's a historical event but there's kind of all the stuff associated with her because she's a god there mm-hmm. was an archon which is a celestial being of law and there was a time when these archons became tyrannical rulers over mortals and one of these agnomakos ruled over the region of what would become the polis of Miletus, and uh she gifted the mortals there. uh uh, magic and uh, Kineos and Tiro. These two, uh, th- these the two mortals, uh, led this this uh, rebellion against Agnomakos and drove the archon out. And from there, they established this uh, kind of representative polis. You know, built on democratic ideals and built on you know built on the supremacy of law instead of a person or an individual. And so, uh, this became she. She became uh, Ifara. Became this kind of marker of everything the 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 ideals of the polis um she's what well, i love about
0: that story real quick just is, is that i could totally see how that story could be a campaign like yeah. that, and that so like the kind of things that people are doing in in theorists using this book are like laying the foundation for myths that will be you know for future generations uh Absolutely. which is fantastic
2: and that's the fun part like you're, you you touched on exactly the I think, the beauty of what what playing in Theros has to offer. That you are, you're not just, you're not playing at a time when like, hey, all those, the, the the best time to be a hero was in the past. All these legendary heroes were in the past. No, you're part of a succession of heroes of that caliber. You are going, your, your deeds will be immortalized in, literally in the night sky in Nyx as, you know, as, as people re- uh, tell and retell and retell these stories through the generations. And as you interact that. with these gods and become their champions, you will be immortalized in that way. And that, that, I think that's that's a ton of fun.
0: Right. Um, uh, and so, yeah, Afara is, uh, you know, I feel like she would be followed by, um, you know, bards a lot. Is that true?
2: Yeah, particularly uh, we have the uh, College of Eloquence. So you have these, uh, these, these uh bards of oration that will, that are great speakers they've probably you know learned a lot of the teachings of ifara and the writings done about ifara like they are schooled in these ways anything that is about scholarship is going to be very uh much associated with ifara there are wizards that might go to, you know that go to academies that learn probably the same types of magic that ifara taught to the, those original mortals uh that she gave magic to and so yeah she's very much I, she's she's very present in these uh, in, in the polis you you get the sense that you know she is you're always aware that Afara, uh, of Afara's influence in the polis, particularly in, in the polis of Miletus. i mean the way she looks the way she appears to mortals is you know as this enormous like almost looks like an animated statue that she is this living statue her, her skin looks like it is carved from stone and she always has, cool. in one hand, she has this, you know, like a scroll, this sense of scholarship and law. And in the other hand, she has this uh, urn that is always pouring out this nix, nix field like water as though constantly giving the sense of knowledge and the sense of, you know, the, the, the gift to mortals. Um, this sustaining kind of essence, which is, which is knowledge and civilization.
0: That's great. I feel like that also encompasses a lot of what we... Learn in history classes about you know the influences of of Greek civilization on philosophy and, and uh, you know d- democracy, as you said, and all that kind of you know that that, that old idea that like you know uh, Socrates and and right. um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the famous uh, politician from Athens, but uh, you know the, the, those type of stories I feel like is 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 inc- all encompassed within Afara and and what she uh, provided to these cities.
2: Precisely, yeah. I think that's that, that's spot on, and I think Afara is a is a fun god to, you know, deal with either her specifically, uh, like her directly, uh, particularly if something is threatening to overthrow or uh, dismantle uh, civilization, and this could be in the form of uh, chaotic raiders that might be associated with Mogus, the god of slaughter, or you know, uh, there's a myth where she was able to keep a massive kraken at bay by making one of the walls of this pol- uh, of this of this polis very, you know uh almost like impossibly high and impossibly strong to just keep them at bay so there's a sense of her as the protector of of the polis and so there's a lot there's a lot of there, there's a lot there to kind of play with what if what if she's not providing those things anymore what happens mm. you know what responsibility is on the mortals to to Uphold those ideals even in her absence. Like, that's a thing that you might have to do as, as one of her champions, perhaps. So, there's a lot there to, to, to play with.
0: I love it. I dig it. Uh, and we, and we, we discussed uh, Afara on previous lore, you should know, but it's always great to get your uh, input. And, uh, you know, I just love that you and Adam were on the magic team when we were designing uh, the Theros and all these gods and these stories. And then you're still uh, continuing that wonderful storytelling here with uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros.
2: Yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun to interact with it in this way. Um, yeah, just seeing it through the D&D lens is is a special kind of uh, reward. It's
0: awesome. Great. Uh, all right, so that's it for uh, for this segment. Uh, thank you, Ari. How can people get in touch with you if they have uh, more questions or just want to ask you about uh, some of the other aspects of Theros? Uh,
2: mostly Carrier Pigeon has been the best. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
0: Telepathy, you know, just try to, but don't be too loud late at night.
2: I'm waiting. <laughs> I devote about a half hour just to receive signals and just nobody's, nobody's really trying that hard. So That's the way
0: to do it. All right, well, they need to, uh, you know, learn some more things from Afara before they are able to make that connection, perhaps. Uh, closing out this segment, please. Uh, we will we'll do some more Lori Eishinot on a segment coming up soon. All right, thank you.
2: Thank you. This
0: was a very educational segment. I'm so glad that uh, we now have our knowledge expanded from it.
1: The more you know. The more you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't you you dare close your eyes. (laughs) That's not even what is going on. You
1: can show us a whole new world (laughs) of lore. That's true. Yes.
0: A whole new world building uh, segment. I can show
1: you the world building. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities.
0: Oh Gosh, I think we just might have come up with a new uh, segment a, name a at least for Dragon Talk that's like all about oh uh, world building. That's actually not a bad idea. I think idea. that
1: we should do a segment that's just parody songs.
0: <laughs> I think you and I should just get together and sing karaoke. How about that?
1: <laughs> I think it would happen once and you would be like, uh, why don't you just go sit down and get a beer and look? Not, not at that all, stage ever again. I'm a
0: terrible singer as well, so we can commiserate and just enjoy the music really? with no judgment. Well, I think, it's,
1: I think it's obvious what song we'd have to sing.
0: We didn't start I the did fire,
3: you up. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Harry Truman, Doris hey. Day, Red China, yeah. Johnny Ray, yeah. We can, well, I got we, some,
1: I got some practicing to
0: do, get some hollow notes going pretty soon.
1: There you go, happen. yeah. Okay.
0: Um, well, I think okay. we know what our first question is going to be for Mary Robinette, and that is uh, whether she what is karaoke a... karaoke
1: song?
0: No, what Holland & Oates song oh. <laughs> what should we do for karaoke first?
1: Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> well, let's get her on the horn. We
1: should ask all of our guests that question.
0: It's true. It's one of the very go tos now. Let's welcome Mary Robinette Kowal to Dragon Talk. Welcome, Mary Robinette. Yay.
1: Yay! Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: We are You're excited. So happy
1: that you are here. I wanted to, I can show you. I mean, our listening audience can't see, but look what I have. Ooh. Uh, I have one of your, your novels here, Shades of Milk and
3: Honey. And also,
1: you autographed it. Aww.
3: Yeah, I sent that with my friends David and Hope, who you came. You did. In. Yeah. They yep. had such a good time. On-
1: well, hopefully, you share their sentiment.
3: I'm Remains sure to be I seen, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they had such an interesting story about about how you met. Do you, do you yeah. live in the same
3: building or you lived in the same yeah. building? Or? Yeah, we, uh, we're in the same building. Um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm at mom and dad's now because uh, there is no possible way to record audiobooks in my apartment. And with the shutdown, I cannot go to the studio. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm here Right now, um, in a attic room covered with blankets, <laughs> but an attic uh, room yeah, and ninety five degree humidity. Outside. It's only you Orange. know, it's only eighty eight percent humidity and ninety two degrees. So really, I mean, what do I have oh. to complain about? It's fine. It's all totally <laughs> fine. Um, so uh, so yeah. So we we live in the same building and. Um, uh, we had just moved in, and someone else in the building was like, "Do you want to go play games with these people? They they're really nice, and they they collect games." I'm like, "Collecting games, pretty high, pretty high po- probability of them being my kind of people."
0: <laughs> and
3: um, went in, and they had you know a game room, and that was very impressive collection of board games, and played D and D, and it was great, and. Um, and I had told my husband, you know, if they're in science fiction and fantasy, there's a possibility that someone there is going to recognize my name because um, I'm, like, the president of science fiction and fantasy writers of America and I've got all the, you know, I've got these books. Um, uh, but, you know, it's not a guarantee, but it's, it could happen. And no one did, and it was great. And um, apparently, according to, to Dave, after I left... One of the other people ran into the room and said, Do you know who that was? <laughs> oh, awesome. they were just trying to play it cool. <laughs> and, Aww. And, uh, and it turns out that he was a longtime listener of writing excuses. Uh, I, like David and, and this other gentleman uh, were both writing excuses listeners. And I was just so out of context. He's like, Why would she be in my living room? She lives in Chicago. <laughs> I had no idea. I had just moved
1: oh my gosh yeah you I guess I mean you really wouldn't expect one of your favorite authors to be popping into your game nights,
3: no no, but, but it, it was happens. great, and so we yeah, we've played a couple of times since then oh that's awesome Have you played d and d
0: for a long time yeah, what was your first like uh yeah. uh d and d experience what was that like
3: oh like high school um uh pretty sure it was high school, might have been junior high um but pretty sure it was high school uh yeah, I had a, a group of um, you know, my, my gang of, of friends, uh, and it was, I think, I think there was only one guy in our group and he didn't play with us regularly. Um, but yeah, we did, we did, uh, um, we would write our own modules. Uh, we did, oh, shoot, which edition were we playing? So this would have been in eighty four eighty five. Eighty-six. So probably AD&D. Yeah, probably AD&D. Um, but yeah, I would paint miniatures. I had like the whole nine yards. Oh, I that's was so fun. Oh wow. Yeah. No. So wh- I, I, wh- I only like I got at one point in one of the moves. I was like, I haven't played in ages, and I and I didn't have any friends who were playing, and so I, uh, except for one person, and so I gave my miniatures to them, and now I'm like, why did I do that?
1: <laughs> oh no. It's Did it's you fine. <laughs> were you the dungeon master or
3: a player? Sometimes. You did both. It depended. We yeah, we we took turns. Um, oh, nice. depending on yeah. So Yeah, that's great. Uh, I mean, we I, we
0: hear a lot about like people who, you know, played when they were younger and uh, you know, especially women, it might have been, you know, mostly male groups or things like that. So it's really awesome to hear about like a mostly, you know, group of women playing together and yeah. enjoying yeah. and and writing the stories and and talk a little bit about like that. How how did how did that group form, and, and, and uh, what kind of stories were you telling at the time?
3: Yeah, so we were um, so we were all—I went to a, a magnet school in Raleigh, North Carolina, so oh. uh, we were all, you know, gifted and talented. Um, but we all read the same books, uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, we would pass—we had a, a thing called The Note, uh, which was a, a never-ending story kind of thing that we would pass to each other in the hall— and it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, hey, how's your day going? It was a further adventure of basically our questing party. Um, and so we were writing stories and then would hand them to someone else who would, who would take them on. Some of them were, you know, very classic um, Dungeon kind of things. Some of them were fairly contemporary, uh, and then occasionally we would have, depending on which DM, we would have the oddball one where it's like, "Oh, and now the pink elephants are rising out of the book bu- the 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 uh, the bubble bath." That's <laughs> one of the ones that I very clearly remember. It was a, it was very much a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I think I think we must have like recently seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something because there were I remember there being. Distinct references to that. Um, but yeah, we were I think we were kind of all over the map because while it was we had a lot in common, we were also very different people. Um uh, and one of my friends uh actually um when she uh when she came of age, um had never liked her real name. And actually no, I think there's I am mistaken. two of the people in my group um, uh, one of them had never liked her her i said real name that's 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 wrong. She had never liked her birth name and uh, changed her name to uh, the name she'd been using with her character, oh, which wow. had been a lot of the way she had been exploring like who she actually was wow. and um, and the other one had a really um, difficult we will say gently relationship with uh, her father and wanted to distance herself. So used the surname that she had created for her wow. character, uh, when she and changed her name to, to, to get away from, from that family name. So yeah, it, it had a big influence on, on us. Um, and definitely is a lot of where some of my first, uh, interactive storytelling came from, you know, mm-hmm. like how you, uh, how you, uh, relate to the audience, how you, you, Watch what their expectations are. Um, how you try to make that expectation satisfied while also still being surprising. Um, so yeah, there was a there was a lot of stuff from that.
1: You you sound like a very um, mature, intuitive bunch of, of uh, young ladies. For you know for how oh. how you uh, gravitated towards D anD D, and then how you were yeah. all like you know passing the notes and carrying the, st- the thread through, and and all gravitated towards. Writing um, the your, your own adventures, which is some like yeah. a lot of times we hear people started playing and they're like, oh, you know, I, they were just the they never wanted to be the dungeon master or they're just, you know, always a player. But yeah, you, you really dug into D&D and for, yeah. for all that it's, it has to offer.
3: Yeah, that was it was a uh, it was deeply satisfying. Yeah. yeah. And so, then. And then I fell out of it because I went to college and didn't. There wasn't a group. I think yeah. there was like one group, but it was all guys, and the dynamic was so different. Yeah, I that it was just it wasn't it wasn't appealing because was so much of why I played was because of the relationships and the story, yeah. and and this particular, I'm sure that if I had looked around more, I would have found a different group. But this particular group was um, uh, very mechanic, battle driven, and that was not. That wasn't why I played. Yeah,
1: you were more f- interested in the, the story.
3: Yeah, in the relationship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I liked fighting a good monster, but that was right. That wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. It the uh, the solving of the puzzles and how do we how do we how do we plan this? How do we? I, I was much more. If you gave me a heist, I was the happiest person. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, That's fine.
3: Awesome. Um so what sorts of characters were you drawn to? Uh I did a lot of um uh paladins, rangers, elves, um basically any excuse I had to um be in the woods of some sort and have magic. Uh those like just basically if if you told me that the the class that I wanted to play couldn't use magic, I would be like, nah, I don't know. Maybe. Why even play?
0: (laughs) Right? Isn't that the whole point? The fantasy of this? Yeah. 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 Elves, I I always love too. For that, you know, because they're that, you know, inherently magical and 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 you know different from what's in our real world.
3: Yeah. So uh, it was, you know. At the same time, I'm sitting here talking. I'm like, that was 30 years ago. Um, What was I doing? (laughs)
0: But it's amazing that you have so many of those memories. I mean, that's yeah. what... Oh, I
3: still have my character sheets. Wow, really? Oh, you yeah. do? Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, they're in the filing cabinet that is uh, in my apartment, not here at my mom and dad's house. If uh, I had thought that through when I was planning coming over here, I totally would have brought the character sheet. Oh, that would be uh, cool. Daphne Laurel Alithia was my character. Oh, Daphne. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was your first one? I don't think she was my first one. She was the one that I, I consistently played. Yeah. Um, so. Do any of,
1: uh, of Daphne's, uh, any of her story, her backstory, traits, anything, do, do you ever find it surfacing in any of the books that you're writing now? Um,
3: s- some. Um, the, there is a, so the first novel that I wrote uh, which will never be published, uh, but was my D&D character. Wow. Um, was Daphne, and uh, I think I changed her name, and it was science fiction, and the plot was somewhere between A-Team and Battlestar Galactica, but not the good parts. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, a across, you know, it's A-Team mates Battlestar Galactica. That actually sounds cool. Like, I would write yeah. yes. that. Uh, yes. Yes. But that is not, that is not what I wrote. <laughs> 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 I wrote all of the unfortunate parts of those, uh, and but she was she was my main character, and one of the first stories that I sold, um, I think it was like my second or third story, was something that I carved out of that novel, oh. um, and oh. so uh, it's it's called um, the Bound Man. Um, and it's out there in the world, uh, and it's it's like it doesn't actually suck. Um, but I also carved it way the heck down. Um, and, but you can you can definitely I think see the D and D roots because they're uh, they're they're fighting orcs <laughs> that come up uh, or trolls. Excuse me, they're fighting trolls uh, that come up out of the ground. sword play, horses, questing party, prophecies and you know it's it it is uh to me the roots are so so clear that 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 was um straight straight out of D&D all the building
0: <laughs> blocks are there yeah, yep. yeah
3: yeah i love that um what speaking
1: of D&D and writing one of the the things that i i love and appreciate uh, Greg and i are, are both writers too and so we love talking to writers Ooh. but yeah I especially love writers who kind of nurture and um, you know advise emerging writers. Mm-hmm. And and your whole um, the leveling up as a human and and the writer thread was very popular. And um, it's such a good analogy. Would you talk about that a little?
3: Sure. Uh, so I was I was talking to someone who was. You know, feeling like, oh, I'm terrible as a writer. I've been doing this for three years. I'm like, okay. um, So you've been writing for three years. How long have you been alive? And they're like, well, 28. I'm like, okay, so you're a level 28 human and you're a level three writer. Like, think about how good you were at being a human when you were a level three human. And they just went, oh. I'm like, yeah, you're still (laughs) – walking is still new. Like – you know, you are very happy that food gets into your mouth right, at this point. So <laughs> you know, everyone is like, Hey, you you may be thinking about maybe not using a diaper, but <laughs> maybe not. Some days you do, some days you don't, when you're level three human. And like same thing when you're writing. It's like, hey, maybe this thing is maybe this is a this is a stinky diaper. I <laughs> have a story that I'm presenting to you. And sometimes, you know, you actually manage to get to the toilet on time and everything goes where it should. But And then you get an M&M. But it, it's, you know, it, it's like the, the thing for me is that when you are thinking about any skill that you're learning uh, in, in D&D or any game, you, you get you, – when you level up, things happen that are obvious, You know, you get new gear. In video games, you get a fabulous loading screen. And in real life, the UI sucks because all you get is imposter syndrome. (laughs) Because all you do know is that the monsters have gotten bigger and you don't know how to fight them. And you don't realize that you actually have the gear because no one tells you. You kind of... They just stealth sneak it in. And so... For me, when I'm talking to someone and they're like, oh, and, and my own imposter syndrome when it kicks in, it's like the thing that I have to remind myself is the reason that I'm having that is because I must have just leveled up because I am facing bigger monsters now. And that's a positive yeah. when you run into I think when it's dangerous is when uh, when it's easy. Um, and I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with. Playing on the easy level, uh, but when you do the same adventure over and over and over, it's like, why are you? What what are you getting out of this? So, you know, celebrate celebrate the fear.
0: It, you have That's to be uncomfortable advice. sometimes, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. I and mean, that through being uncomfortable is the only way you can be changed.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I I mean, I think it, it's worth noting for for our audience that uh, may you know not be as familiar with with your work but you uh, have you I mean, basically won every <laughs> writing award that you can win not, no not I'm, all of them like I'm, I I don't have a Pulitzer I mean <laughs> the, you got to like you got to have something to strive for yeah fair, fair. and not only um, have you won like I mean the Hugo Award is huge but like you've won it multiple times <laughs> like, it was like I mean, it's, it's
3: kind of fun. <laughs> it's, gotta <laughs> so it's gotta be. So you're
0: like a level twenty five, uh, you know, CR twenty five monster right now, <laughs> as far as uh, yeah, leveling up and yeah. writing goes.
3: Uh, so I'm I'm playing. I think I'm playing like a, a level fifteen writer right now.
1: Okay. Um, well,
3: okay. You know, it, it, but it's it's kind of tricky because I like I I played an older edition initially, um, and had to re-roll the character. Right. So, like, I kind of remember how to play, but I keep having to go back to the rule book because things have changed. I'm like, oh, which, which set of rules am I playing with? Do I have all the die right now? I don't know. This and- metaphor
0: is getting more
1: complicated.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm into it. I like it. <laughs> and oh. then, so also, well, I do want to talk about your series, but I have oh, to sure. ask you about your... Um, that because writing all of these award-winning books isn't enough you're also a voice actor and a
3: puppeteer? That is correct.
1: Yes, I That's am. That's amazing. So, yes. first question, when you play D&D, are you do you do voices for your characters? <laughs> yes.
3: Great. Um Yeah, the I think so the the f- first one that David and I played was the um the Stranger Things one, and so so I was I was eleven, and um, uh, this is all I. Nothing you make sense. Nothing you say makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, I was like, okay, let's be out. Uh, and then the next one, um, he made this great uh, Snow White riff, and like we were all dwarves. Um, oh, cool! It was so good. Uh, and what was mine? I can't remember the name of mine. It was some play on unhappy. But we all, a, um, we all had a trait that would be triggered under certain circumstances. And if we failed our saving throw, then, then it would, we'd have to do this thing. And mine was that uh, if, I, if I failed the saving throw, that my character wanted to be friends with whatever sentient thing I next saw. Um, and and so that resulted in me going and and there's the big monsters which are, are giant apple golems going. Oh, hello, friends! How are you? <laughs> really good to see you. My questing parties is and I we're just like. Oh, hey! What wh- what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love
1: an apple golem. <laughs> it's so That's good! Amazing.
0: Yeah. Shiny
1: red. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! And then a, being a you're a puppeteer as well, a mm-hmm. professional puppeteer. Yeah.
3: yeah, that is correct. Oh, wow. So, um, so I did that for about that. There, I'm a like level twenty five puppeteer. Um, uh, but I I do kind of every <coughs> I do. Stage puppetry. Most of my career was on stage. That's amazing. Uh, but I did some television, Sesame Street, a show called Lazy Town. So oh, the, wow. the moving mouth
0: uh, um, stuff. Yeah, I have a crazy connection there. That my probably the first time I saw my wife perform. We went to the same school, uh, University of Connecticut, at the mm-hmm. drama oh, department yeah, there, K-Con. which has a huge puppetry department. But yeah. the first thing I saw her do was um, it was a Sleepy Hollow, and she played like the sidekick to the the headless yeah. horseman. And she used a voice similar to what you just did for, for Elle L, like oh, the well, whole great. entire time. Um, yeah, that was fascinating, and you know, to this day, I still remember. Like, yeah, I, I remember. That's how I met you. Was when you were you were a puppet? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, she so and I many of those have people have a lot of friends. <laughs> Well, I mean, there was there was a there was the acting department and the puppetry department, and they crossed yeah. a lot. So we knew a lot of people who went through that program there. But you know, we ended up going on the acting side a little bit more, not necessarily yeah. following down that line. But yeah, you know, a lot of the 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 um, pipeline of people who were in that puppetry department all, all did the same things that you were just talking about, going to Sesame Street and whatnot. Yeah. So um, so
3: yeah, it's. Uh, it's a great gig. Um, and the audiobook is very closely related. It's like doing the puppetry but without the pain. It's like I get to do all of the fun character voice and acting. Oh, but, yeah. But puppetry is um, frequently like doing yoga and playing Twister at the same time with weights while acting. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is. I love it a lot. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, people are like, oh, puppets, they're so cute. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. It's not like mm. a, a
1: paper sack with cootally <laughs> eyes taped
3: on it. No, <laughs> no. I, I like, when you do Little Shop before is that sucker weighs between 80 to 125 pounds. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I was doing that full time, I was like, I was ripped. <laughs> Jeez. We had to
0: get the, uh, uh, uh. Crew guys, the guys who were uh, you know athletes uh, who also did acting, but you know they were the ones who did all the because yeah. they were there. they had yeah. the upper body strength to be able to do it.
3: Hey, uh, uh, now because I do that, I do that sucker.
0: No, but they, uh, well, we, we didn't have to wait for them to build it up; like they had it already from the from the crew. But
3: well, yeah, it's it's um so the interesting thing about puppets is that you do use a different set of muscles for every figure, and one of the things that happens for women going into the program into into puppetry is that um, they're expected to move the puppet, to to use the puppet the same way a guy does, mm. uh, with different proportions and, and a different center of gravity. And what I found was that if I attempted to work the Audrey II puppet in the same operating position that uh, that a, a male counterpart was, I could not, but if I used a different operating position, I could get the same range of motion, and I could actually get a couple of things that they couldn 't get. There were also things that they could get that i couldn 't but that there was um, it, it was not like from the outside, you could not tell yeah um but it was it was all about switching it up and the thing is like uh with again with the puppets um they so, Audrey II was built by Martin P. Robinson, um, who most people know as Nephilopagus. He's a regular Sesame Street performer. He, like Jim Henson, is 6'4. So, most puppetry that is coming out of the Henson tradition is built around the idea that you're going to be 6'4. Mm. And so, when women enter that, we have to make all kinds of different uh, accommodations in order to be able to, uh, to, to just to be in order to get on the field. So, so I know that, like, I I know that I can work an Audrey 2 puppet without having gone to the gym. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I am I much love- healthier and happier when I do go to the gym before doing it. <laughs> but it's usually it's like if I have a week, maybe two of notice, I'm fine doing the the show.
0: That's awesome. I love the like kind of inherent. I don't know if it's a lesson or, or, or metaphor there that you're talking about, but like, you know, you don't necessarily have to do things the exact same way to get a excellent performance, right? And that's, yeah. that's true in you know your specific example, but I think that's really true in life uh, yeah. as well. And I th- wish more people really kind of understood that instead of it being like, you're not doing it the exact way that I'm doing it. So therefore, you're failing. And I was like, no, you can do it different ways and give, uh, you know, perhaps a different success, but still have success. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the, the saying is uh, there is no correct way to hold a puppet uh, because you have to constantly, like when, you, when you're doing a marionette, I will use my hand fan, when you're doing a marionette, uh, you've got a crossbar and normally there's a T up here, and so normally you hold it like this. But if your puppet is walking upstage, you turn it around so it's facing you because that's a better operating position uh, instead of sitting there trying to you know, crank your arm around into something that's deeply ergonomic and, uh, ergonomically unsound and then also limits your range of motion so you change your position yeah have oh, you ever that
0: used that so cool. in your uh i mean b- by that i mean that specific like, kind of uh, uh idea to do things differently than is the traditional or whatever has been set behind uh, that feels like something that is uh, applicable to your writing career as well
3: yeah very much um i it has caused me to be of the opinion that process does not matter except for what it does. You know, the the correct process is the process that is working for you in that moment. Mm. Um, the only thing that matters is what the audience sees at the end of the, the day. And so, you know, some things I outline very thoroughly, some things I see to the pants, some things I do a mix, um, so it's like you know, there are days when I'm like, okay, today's a three sentence day, and there are days where I'm like, oh, oh apparently I wrote five thousand words today. All right, good job <laughs> me. Um, but it doesn't it like the audience cannot tell the difference, and so if they can't tell the difference, then it the difference doesn't matter. It, these are all just tools that you use and use the tool that you need to get the job done. Mm. So when you're writing a series,
1: do you mm-hmm. when you conceive of the idea, are you do you know? this is a series,
3: or do you kind of get into the first novel and you're like, oh, I got, I got more here? Um, so I am uh, sneaky. I write standalones for my first novel because you never know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I know that they have series potential, so I usually jot down some other ideas of things that I could also do in that world. And, uh, and then when the editor comes and says, do you have another book here? And I'm like, why, yes, I do. Funny you should ask. Yes. Yes. Which was also an important lesson I learned after the first book where I had said, I'm going to write a book that has serious potential. But I had not written any ideas down. Yeah. I just kind of had them in the back of my head. And when they said, do you have any more books? I'm like, yes, I do. And then quickly went and wrote it down. I'm wondering, I feel like, like there's obviously a
1: lot of similarities between building your D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. Setting your your own world, your own stories is that more like writing a novel, or is that more like writing a series? Like, of, like if you're doing an, an entire campaign? It,
3: yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it can be both. Um, and again, it it depends on the uh, the writer. Like uh, the the author uh, China Mievel is, um, you know, he really he, he likes role playing, but he's got he loves world building. Yeah. And so that is that is the thing that pulls him into stories. Whoa. Sorry about that. Uh that would be my ring light falling over. Oh, very no exciting. worries. <laughs> Super exciting. Um uh, <laughs> this space that I'm in is very small. <laughs> um, your, your little attic space. <laughs> it's <laughs> it feels so bad. my packing my packing blankets right here. It's <laughs> it's good. It's uh it's real good. You don't um, have any excuses anymore. You know? <laughs> no no, no running really no excuses. <laughs> no, no writing excuses at all, uh, except heat. Um, so uh, I have lost my own train of thought. Uh, uh, world, world
0: building can be... Uh, oh,
3: right, right. Yeah, so so I think that when you're, you know, that it is, you can... What I have, what I think is that a one-off is like a short story and that, uh, you know, a full campaign... Yeah is a novel, and then sometimes you have people who are like, and we do multiple campaigns with the same group of characters, and that's a series.
1: Yeah, okay. I can see it like that.
3: Yeah. So, um, this may be useful or may not. Uh, so there's a rule of thumb, uh, for trying to decide how long a story is going to be. Um, which is, it's it's a little bit of math, um, but every, in prose, and this is, this is like really rule of thumb, and it's, it's, like there are plenty of examples that break it, but it's it's a useful metric for trying to figure things out uh, but every character or location adds five hundred to a thousand words to your scene or story
1: oh oh
3: um, because you have to spin those words to to build the picture around them, yeah, you know and so um and and location is like the difference. The mistake that I'll see people make is they'll say, oh, this only happens in one location. It's just at the castle. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But it's it's in the library of the castle and the battlements of the castle and the dungeon of the castle and the kitchen of the castle. And and it's like, it is in multiple locations. Uh, it's so, you have to, and you have to spend words on all of them. It's like when you're doing a campaign and you walk into the new space and the DM has to tell you what that environment looks like, so you know how to move through it. Those are words that you're spending. So every time you change locations, the action necessarily has to slow down uh, because you you have to switch modes. So um, and and the same thing when a new character comes on, you you have to get that, that everything has to slow down for a second while we while we establish the person. So you're spending words or spending time. Um, so. So what you do if you say 500 to 1,000 words, the average of that is 750. So what I do is I add up the number of characters and the number of locations, and then I multiply it by 750, and that gives me a sense. Now, that's if you've only got one storyline going. If you've got Mm. multiple storylines, each storyline can make your your overall thing half again as long. So then you have to count up the number of storylines that you have Multiply that uh, by I do 1.5, which is the half again as long, um, and and that. Oh, sorry, wait, I did the math slightly wrong. You multiply the number of storylines by your the the character location thing, and then you divide by 1.5. There's math in there. I have oh it written down. Oh my god, I've else.
1: never heard this before. This is fascinating.
3: Yeah, it's a thing I came up with. Um, oh. I can send you an infographic uh, that yes, has. I actually, love infographics. Yeah, um, but anyway, it, it's it's a useful metric for kind of sorting. It, it helps makes it real easy, real fast. It's like, oh, this is not a short story. I have eight brothers who are on a quest across the all of Europe, and we're stopping on every mountain range and in multiple small towns. It's like that's that's not a short story. Um, and there are ways that you can do that, but you have to be so economical with everything else that happens in the story mm. that uh, that it 's like do you, is that the best is that the best story to tell here you know?
0: or is this the best format to tell the story that you right. want to tell
3: exactly yeah. so um, so it 's a useful diagnostic for kind of spotting things early and it 's also very handy when you know if you 're stories coming in long or or coming in short to go okay uh like Relentless Moon um which is uh book three came in when I finished it, it was 180,000 words uh wow which, yeah it's real long um and and too long it was too long for the story that I was telling um and just for reference the uh Previous book, the faded sky, was ninety nine thousand words. So oh, it was like double this was almost double. Yeah, 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 it was a real, real, real problem. So I, I was just brutal, and I went in and I cut characters, and I cut locations, and oh, I wow. cut storylines. Um, but it, it makes it much easier to identify the things that you need to pull out in order to to reduce it. That's oh cool. yeah,
1: you can use the math in that sense.
3: Yeah, Do you when you cut them out,
1: are you actually like? delete, or do they kind of just get moved to a different
3: They folder. go into a scraps folder. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because all of us were yeah, like, like, no, you lost yeah. them forever. Yeah.
3: 90,000 no, no, no. words. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean,
0: I've uh, I've been a fan of, of, you know, fantasy for a long time, and uh, uh, we had Tad Williams, actually, on the, on the uh, oh, podcast yeah. a few years ago, uh, and he was one of them. I remember following along his processes for, I think it was the the first fantasy uh, series he did, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn.
1: Oh, yeah. Which
0: is, had a Observe similar problem. I think the third volume is twice again huge. as big as the previous yeah. two. And he tried to correct that, I think, by doing the, uh, the, a fourth book in his next trilogy. Uh, yeah. And it, it seems to be this perpetual problem where you're like, all right, we get to past a couple of novels, and then you're like, I can't finish it in just one. Uh, and I, he, Wait, didn't, he didn't take the thing of cutting you know, stuff. He wanted yeah. to keep it all in.
3: Yeah, because you've you've introduced characters and you try to keep them alive, and uh, and they you know they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. Seems to be a problem that
1: fantasy writers face. That that I don't S- think other genres typically and sci-fi. Like, I, I would say probably too. It's like a genre yeah. fantasy, thing. Fantasy, sci-fi, but yeah, like uh, a well, mainstream fiction.
3: Like they're they don't really have that problem. No, no, they really <laughs> don't. Um. Yeah, I think. I mean, some of it is what the reader wants. So the readers of fantasy, I think, you know, they they really want that, or frequently, they they want a ginormous epic. Yeah, you know, like I um, I do this writing excuses with Brandon Sanderson, and like we joke that he writes Chihuahua killers because the like the they're giant. Oh my goodness, that they're huge. They're huge. I, as soon as I finished mine, by the way, I texted Brandon. I'm like, 180,000 words. I blame you. And he, la- he texted back, mwahaha.
0: <laughs> Chihuahuas of the world beware. <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your series because you are the author of, of many different series. And can you tell us a little bit
3: about those series? And Sure. Um, so the one you held up, uh, Shades of Milk and Honey, is yep. um, like Jane Austen with Magic. Um, so cool. Thank you. Uh, so it's um, it was my first. Uh, it's five books, and uh, and it is what it says on the ten. Uh, the first book is a straight-up Austen pastiche that has magic uh, in the world. I I was like, if if I wanted a fantasy novel... With I just finished reading a giant epic and, and then was doing a re- Jane Austen persuasion reread as my palate cleanser. And I'm like, why can't I have both at the same time? Mm. Um, and also, how can she make me weep over the loss of a handkerchief and this thing where the fate of the world was literally at stake? I'm like, eh, you know, it was great. It was a good ride. Enjoyed it. But here I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> it's not, like, she's she's she was gonna be fine. She she had two good marriage options. You know, she wasn't yeah. gonna be. It's like all it was it wasn't. It's like, is she gonna survive? No, it's like, is she gonna be happy? Is she gonna be the happiest version of herself? Like, she probably would have been happy, but just not the happiest version. Um, and and yet, and so um, so in that one. Uh, you know, it's a young lady of quality, um, and young ladies of quality are taught uh, glamour in the same way they are taught painting and dancing and embroidery. It's, it's a decorative art and not particularly practical. Um, so book one is straight up pastiche. Book two is a political thriller disguised as a Regency romance. Actually, no. Book two is a wartime ro- spy novel disguised as a Regency romance. Book three is the political thriller. Uh, book four is Jane Austen writes Ocean's Eleven. Oh my and, There's the heist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I told yeah. you. Heists make me so happy. Um, and then book five uh, is um, kind of a... It's more or less a soap opera. <laughs> It's, disguised it's right up it. my alley. Yeah. Um, I had just I had been watching Downton Abbey. I'm like, Downton Abbey is a soap opera with really good clothes. Yeah. okay, <laughs> I can do that. Um, but I, I also knew that I only wanted to do five books in the series because I get reader fatigue after about five books. So I didn't want to go past that. Um, and then the next thing is a standalone, uh, Ghost Talkers, which is a World War I spy novel with ghosts. The setup for that is that spiritualism works as advertised on the tin, and so the British Intelligence Department has set up what they call the Spirit Corps and have conditioned all of their soldiers that when they die, they report into the Spirit Corps. Mm. And so they're getting instant wow. updates on where tre- troops are going, and then, of course, you know, it's a it's a wartime spy novel, so there's traitors and explosions and things and chases uh, with ghosts. Um and then the new series, um, the thing that, uh, that I, I have the, the shiny rockets and other things for, um, is the Lady Astronaut series, and that is uh, science fiction. It's Apollo-era science fiction. Um, uh, 1952, I slam an asteroid into the Earth, uh, specifically into the Chesapeake Bay, which takes out D.C. and a lot of the eastern seaboard, uh, and it kicks off the space program fast and early. <laughs> and at a time when computers were still women, so if you wanted to send a computer into space, you had to send a woman. So it's this international cooperative effort to get off the planet. Um, and uh, that's, and so that's book one is, can we get off the planet? Book two is, hey, let's go to Mars. And uh, book three, Relentless Moon, uh, which is a standalone in theory like, I tried to make it so that you could actually pick it up without having read the first two. Uh, but it's a parallel novel to book two. Um, oh, neat. Oh, that's it's... interesting. Yeah, so it's a different main character. They're all first person. Um, so it's a different main character who you met in the first books. But it's basically what's happening on Earth as the Mars expedition is happening. Uh, there's a point in the Mars expedition. Um, this is not a spoiler. It's a promise. Uh, the, the where they they get a letter from home that says uh, you don't understand how bad it is here. We're sending up the rosiest possible news, and I'm like, everything that happens in the relentless sky is all of the things that they are not telling the Mars expedition about. Oh, cool! Oh, that is so cool. So it is. Uh, it is a um, political uh, thriller. Spy novel um, there's a there's a, a radical group that wants to stop the space program and uh, so there's a they 've been doing sabotage and they 're pretty sure that they're on the moon so two hundred and fifty people uh, three hundred people on the moon, and one of them or more, more but at least one of them is uh, so it's it's a lo- like it 's a locked room murder mystery or locked room yeah, because literally locked room.
0: Locked station.
3: <laughs> locked station, like, yeah. yeah.
0: That's pretty interesting. It uh, reminds me of... Yeah, that, it, was, the way, it was fun. It reminds me of the um, uh, the way Orson's card, card uh, had the Ender's Game series, and then he was like, all right, let's mm-hmm. go back to what was actually happening on Earth while yeah. those things were happening and, and, and how the, the hegemony was set up and all that. It's very interesting.
3: Yeah. To switch, yeah. yeah. sh- change modes that way. Yeah, and, and I think that that's... Um, like, I was almost certainly influenced by that but uh but also uh honestly like things like um the dragon rider series um and and then of course rashomon (laughs) you know if we're going to go into classic cinema (laughs) um but the you know the the difference that it makes when you are standing in another place watching the same events unfold Yeah. yeah yeah that's a that's really cool
0: i'm experiencing that a little bit with um a totally different medium but uh uh Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and how.
1: Oh, yeah. What's
0: so great about Better Call Saul is not only is it a great story, but it, it, it makes you reimagine and reevaluate the events of the other series. Uh, and, yeah. and so that they're both like echoing back and forth to each other. It's so fascinating.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was something that I tried to do with um, with the first series, actually, is to write it so that you could step into the series at any point. And then go back and read the previous books as prequels. Mm. Uh, and I also wanted there to be something so that if someone did a reread, that the second time that they read it, that there was something new there that that was there because it took on a different context from having read a later book. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, this thing that he's doing—that's because of oh, I didn't see. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, and it makes
0: the reader feel smart.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love reading things like that. Um, it's like Back to the Future, can we just say? Back to the Future is such a well-constructed film because it does that. Like mm-hmm. if you do a second watch of Back to the Future, not that I'm a fan of it, uh, but it is so tightly scripted. You, like the things that they set up that then play off, like that thing is filled with Chekhov's guns. Yes,
0: yeah, that's there's not
3: just one on the mantle. That
0: scene in the family eating dinner together
3: mm-hmm. is, is
0: is all of, it, they reference almost every single line throughout the entire rest of the film. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: And then they try to do that the same it. way with Back to the Future too. And now they're like, you know, there's a lot of problems yeah. with it. But I, I do still like how it reimagines all the events that you yeah. loved about the first one and puts it in a yeah. totally different context.
3: Yeah, so good.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about, uh, excuses <laughs> uh, yeah. in writing because I have, you know, a lot of them in my brain and, and mm-hmm. gaming is actually, you know, a big part of why I don't write is because I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna play this game instead and, yeah. and, and, uh, get instant gratification that way. Uh, and how do yes. you, how do you deal with that as a person who wants to write and create, but has so many distractions as well as, you know, that self-doubt voice in your head saying, you know, yeah. you're never going to do it.
3: Uh, so I'm only allowed to play one-offs, actually. <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> yeah, for that exact oh, okay. reason. Yeah, that was the, that was one of the conversations that that I had with David and Hope early on. Is like I'm not allowed to, you know, d- I, I will I have to turn down being a regular campaign member. I can't because sense. I I will I will focus on that narrative, and I you know I have my paychecks um, that I need. Uh, so I I have a lot of different things. Um, That I do, but one of them is to actually honor the times that uh, that I don't want to write, because when you don't want to write, there's a reason for it. Um, Sometimes that reason is, and and I find that it's one of two areas: Uh, it's either a problem with the story, or it's a problem with your world. And like I have depression, uh, which I try to be pretty open about because. other people being open about it was what allowed me to finally go get diagnosed at the age of 45. Wow. And then that whole hindsight of, oh. Um, so, you know, when, when I'm having a bad brain chemistry day, if I can give myself a day off, I do. Because I'm like, oh, okay, so this is the thing that's happening. And, you know, and I know that there's another, you know, I come out on the other side of it and I'm not a terrible person because I'm not able to write right now. Um, if I can't take... The time off, then I'm like, okay, so depression is happening. and This is nothing to do with the story or with my skill as a writer. This is my brain and I can craft my way through this. I know how my tools work and I will use my tools. Um, so, you know, I get, I, I just get very granular. That's when I'm most likely to, to be really specific with plots um, because part of what happens with me is that I when other things are going on, and it doesn't have to be like, hi, you have depression. It can be also the world is on fire, um, but it, it eats up your narrative cycles, and and you keep being pulled over to this other story, which is, uh, you know, inarguably more important because it's really happening. So what you have to do then is, for me, make notes for all of the things that I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to forget. Um, And to break my goals down into much smaller sequences. So when a lot's going on, uh, the bargain that I have with myself, and everybody has like a different threshold for their bargain, uh, but the bargain that I have with myself is when it's really bad, you have to sit down and do three sentences. Because three sentences is enough to be able to diagnose whether or not it is, you know, actually, I'm just tired. Uh, Or... And and that it's like okay buckle up butter, Buttercup get 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 to it, um, or if it's something else, and uh, usually those three sentences turn into more. But some days I have a story, uh, Forest of Memory, that I wrote three sentences at a time because I was in the middle of the the worst depressive spiral I've ever had. Um, I kept having like people kept just people just kept dying. Oh. Um, it was. It was it's not a good stretch of months. Mm. Um, but I I had I had this story that I had to turn in. I had dropped everything else. And um the editor for this one was one of my dear friends, and uh he was terminal with cancer, and I was not gonna back out of his anthology. Like but also <laughs> so I crafted my way through it. I'm like, okay, you know, uh, you know how stories work. You know beginning, middle, and end. You know how to diagnose things. You just have to write with every tool that you have. So there's no passion. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no muse popping into that. That is all crafted. And the audience can't tell. Uh, and you can always fix it in post, too. Um, and so that's, that's one thing. That's when it's like your world. You have to figure out what's going on in your world and, and how to address that. Um, Sometimes it's just that your chair is uncomfortable. But then there's then there's the when it's a problem with the story. And when you don't want to write then, that's actually a gift. And again, life has a terrible UI. When when you don't want to go into a story and work on it, that's your reader brain having a problem with the narrative you're telling. It's either bored. So you're I mean like when you are when you sit down and you're drowsy, you're literally boring yourself. So then I back up and I make a different decision. Um, when you get restless, a lot of times it's that thing where you sit down and you're like, all right, I'm going to write. Why am I in the kitchen right now? How did I get here? Okay, I'm going to go write. How am I now mowing the grass outside? Yep. I, I was. Um, usually, what's going on there is that there's some measure of uncertainty or disbelief. Oh, sorry. No, I'm wrong. Uh, I just got out of, out of my own sequence there. Uh, usually what's going on on there is um, some measure of the next thing you're going to write is hard. It's either mechanically hard or it's an emotionally difficult scene. And you're avoiding it because it's difficult. So you're just going for you're just You're fleeing is what you're doing. And once you identify, oh, this is a difficult scene. Okay, it's a mechanically difficult scene. How do I break it down? All right, it's an emotionally difficult scene. All right. Then I just have to know that this is going to be emotionally difficult. What's the hardest part? Can I layer it? Can I write the easy part and put the hard part in later? Can I do the hard part and then go back in? Like, what is? Where is my difficulty point? Uh, and then you fix that. Um, you know, then then there's uh, dithering, and that's that's where you you keep rewriting the same sentence over and over again or the same scene or the same paragraph, that's a sign that you don't believe it and you're trying to fix it. And I've found that most of the time, actually, if I just pull that whole chunk out and do another approach, that usually that it the actual answer was that it didn't belong in the story and that I kept trying to force it into place. So, so for me, anytime I don't want to write, I'm like, okay, this is a gift because it is a diagnostic tool that I can use. That's great. Um, so... That's the highbrow thing. And then the more fun thing is there's a thing called For the Words, the number four, The Words, which is a role-playing game. Do you know For the Words? I don't. Please no. tell me. <gasps> oh, I get to introduce you to this. Okay. So the number four, The Words. Okay. It is a role-playing game designed for writers, by writers. What? And yes, it is everything that you want it to be. The <laughs> metric that you defeat monsters is the number of words that you write and the time in which you write them. Oh, I have heard of this. They have beautiful art. There are quests. You have avatars. You collect gear. You have—it's like it is everything that you want it to be. The thing that they—the one thing that they don't have—is on their roadmap. The thing that they're going to build is that you're going to be able to do questing parties and do and like. I'm just like it's I'm like a version of the note. A, yeah, I was yes. just just thinking. Yes, that. Um, it's all coming so, full circle. Yes, it is. Uh, so it's it's fantastic um and i swear to god i will write for a pair of virtual wings more than i will an actual paycheck <laughs> i'm like <laughs> it's all about the reward <laughs> i'm like wait I, I i get i get leather pants and a pet oh yeah and wings sign me up yes please that's
0: awesome that's way better than one uh web tool someone tried to tell me. I forget what it was called, but it was uh you know, I think you, I know where you type into a thing and if you stop typing oh, it starts yeah, to yeah. delete what you've been doing. Right. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, yeah. I could never that mm-hmm. would freak no. me out bad. so oh. much.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they have different modes that you can play. So like if you're like, okay, you know what, today um today is is not a great day, so I'm gonna fight this monster that's a hundred and fifty words in an hour, because like I can actually manage that. Mm. That's that's my pace today. And other times you're like, you know what? I am in a really good space and I'm on fire. I'm going to take this monster that's 800 words in an hour. Wow. And you're like, let's go. Yes. Oh, and yeah. also the gear. You, you get gear. Uh, and the offensive gear um, means that you have fewer words. The, the monster has, you know, if they're a 500-word monster, then suddenly they're a 450-word monster. Um, and your, your protective gear... Gives you more time. Mm. It's so well thought out, and they're nice people too. It's called that for is the such word. A good idea. Good. Yeah, there's just it's so well thought out, and they're and like good people, and there's a really great forum community around it. Um, unsurprisingly, there are a lot of gamers. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a uh, great so, yeah. idea. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so and, a lot of times it's really just
1: getting any words out. Just get, just keep the practice yeah. of sitting down and writing, and if if I've just, like, been writing just garbage, this is just yeah. crap, but it's stuff, then oftentimes it's not 100% garbage. Like, they're made, yeah. you know, like, you you always yeah. kind of surprise yourself with, like, it wasn't that bad. Like, I know. I mean, like, 90% of it might be, but they're still, like, okay, there's something I can salvage here.
3: Yeah, and you can always iterate something. That's one of the things that I love about writing is that you can... It's like no one has to see it until you've yeah. done a couple of iterations on it. Yeah, especially after coming out of live theater. <laughs> yes.
0: yes. You need those yes, uh, uh, three weeks edit. of previews before you get yeah, to opening. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's like a rehearsal. Just,
1: you know, yeah, exactly. Your first two, three, maybe five drafts. Just Yeah, just a rehearsal. Nobody yeah. ever really has to see it.
0: And that's one no, thing that yeah. I, I wish young me... Like knew inherently was that you don't just you know excrete out words that are perfect the first time, right. and if they're yeah. not perfect, don't get discouraged that they're not perfect. And and right, that that iteration is where the real art comes from or the real craft yeah. comes from. Yeah, yeah, that's important. So all right, well that's great because that can combine my uh, excuse of playing RPGs with the actual process of writing. And all right, we've got we've got a plan here.
3: I. I, I promise you that you're going you're gonna to get off of this, and you're going to open it up, and you're like, okay, well, let me try this thing. And then you're going to send me an email saying, oh, my God, this was my most productive day ever. And I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, it was. It was indeed.
0: You slaved the monsters of self-doubt.
3: Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. Yes.
1: Inspiring. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so you much, that out too.
0: Mary Robinette, yeah. for coming on and just basically telling us what to do. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's what I do. Yeah, yeah
0: that's what I need yeah. right now. Someone just your being advice. a voice of reason and uh, <laughs> uh, being like, "You can, you can do things and be creative." And you are like, "All right, that's what I needed." Thank you. You can do yeah. this. Um, that's, and that's you know, thank you for, for bringing what? all this to D and D, you know, uh, uh, I love that what your you know your, your your books are doing are taking um, things that are. <clears throat> excuse me, important, but then, you know, uh, uh, and, and and awesome, and then making them entertaining and making it all happen, and I think that's what a good D&D campaign will do as well. So, uh, if people want to jump into your works as inspiration for their campaigns, or just because they're awesome, uh, where, where's a good place to start? Where would you want to point people to?
3: Um... You know, if, if they want to just take a chance, if they're like, oh, no, no, um, if they go to my website, uh, uh under there's a fiction dropdown and there's a thing that says free fiction. So you don't even have to oh. pay money. I am totally happy with you just trying some of my short stories <coughs> to see if there's something you like. Um, the, the short story that the, my new series is based on, um, or one, there's a couple of them, but, uh, one of them is called Lady Astronaut of Mars. So if you want to, if you want to give me a chance, uh, that's the one I would kind of start with. Uh, Although as a, um, campaign inspiration, I probably actually would go with Bound Man (laughs) just because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just like right there. (laughs) Um, but if you if you like, I would like to spend money because I've been entertained by this woman and uh, and would like to support artists and independent bookstores during the pandemic. Um, uh, the The Relentless Moon is my newest book, and um, you can you know you can actually read it without the first two, um, but it's so basically if you if you want a spy novel in space, Relentless Moon, who doesn't, right? And actually, that would make a good campaign. I have a friend uh, who is uh, doing a Mars campaign right now. Nice. Uh, and it is a heist on Mars. I'm like, I want in on that, but I also can't do a... I can't do a... a <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't only do one-offs.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. And Relentless Moon is out now. You can buy it through your, your local bookstore?
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Local bookstores. Yeah. I, I say now, uh, are we time-traveling this? I have no idea when this Next is... Oh, week. Yeah. Next week. Next
1: week. It's the... 14th that it comes
3: out? Yeah, yeah, it's, yes, yes. Yeah, it'll be out. Yes, yeah, so it is this. It is absolutely out now. <laughs> well, congratulations, because then it <laughs> well, just came out.
1: Yeah, I know, I didn't
0: it realize it did was... It just was a- out.
3: It feels so good to be out. <laughs> when, it's, it's out there in the it's,
1: world. It's two yeah. years old now. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and you have a lot of... Um, and, and people can go to your website to find out, but you have some virtual events lined up?
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, so folks just missed, uh, since I am time traveling this, <laughs> uh, folks just missed my launch party where we created a virtual astronaut um, <laughs> training center that's uh, immersive theater. You two can come because so you cool. and I are, we're in the same time stream. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, so astronaut training center, it's immersive theater. Um, so you get to come and and try to, apply to be an astronaut, uh, in my series. Um, but then I have a whole bunch of other things. Uh, there's a list on my website. Um, some of them will also be virtual events. Um, uh, some of them will just, will be readings as you get to hear my audiobook narrator stuff. Uh, some of them will be conversations. I will be talking with Kate Elliott, uh, who's a fantastic writer. Um, so, uh, someone from Adler Planetarium and I are going to have a wonderful conversation, but yeah, Oh, that's so cool! I think I mean I know it's hard to you know see your
1: book come out in the middle of this pandemic and but I as a reader and a fan of authors I am loving like all of these virtual events because I can go to all of them.
2: <laughs> you yeah. Know, like
1: if you if an author wasn't coming to my town, then you know, I guess I don't get to you know hear this author or you know meet this author. Yeah. But- there's, there's, yeah it, it does afford a lot of unique opportunities for you to engage with it your does. Fans.
3: i I am of the opinion that we uh, we make our own silver linings yeah. um, that that when terrible things happen you know there's a there's a piece of silver and it's completely tarnished and it's up to us to to do all of the polishing and, and pull pull it out um, and so like all of the stuff that is around this piece of silver is really terrible horrifying stuff um, but if it's also forcing things that are making the world, you know, parts of the world better. Um, you know, giving access to author events to people who could never go otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, people, uh, people with disabilities who've been fighting to be allowed to telecommute. Uh, now that's no longer a fight that they have to have. Um, and I don't like the circumstances, but, you know, let's, it's, it, the silver is there and we can polish it. Um, there's, you know, a lot of crap around it, yeah. but yeah. it's, it, it's still, it's still present. Yeah. Like any
0: time. let's hope that we take the lessons of what's happening now to heart and bring it forward, but without yeah. any of that crap around it. If, if possible. Yeah, if, it would hope, be nice. Hope, I'd, I'd, Positives. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah. Unfortunately, also writing a lot of historical stuff, I don't have great confidence in that. <laughs> <I> still, <laughs>
0: you know, right? It's like, like, oh, I'm like look, oh, this 1950s uh, sexism this. is still happening. Isn't that great? Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's,
3: it's, it's real good. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. I hear it. Maybe you should write some uh, some future stuff for us so we can... You know, uh, the, the book I'm writing right now. to something. Yes, the the book that I'm writing right now, uh, which will come out next year, is. Um, do you know the Thin Man movies? Yes. Yeah. Not the Slender Man, but the Thin, okay, Man, the Thin Man. Man in space. Okay, I was thinking Slender Man. Oh, maybe I no, am too. No. Nick oh. and Nora Charles. Uh, so, it's a uh, lo- they're wonderful films, uh, black and white, uh, but it's a locked room murder mystery on an interplanetary cruise ship. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> with a happily married couple and their small dog. Oh boy. I'm sensing. I'm so sensing a Still, theme. cruise ships in the future. We're still, still cruising cruise ships in the future.
1: Yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah. can bring them down.
0: That's one of your favorite things, Shelley, is cruise ships.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <a thing. laughs>
0: no. Well, thanks Can't again for coming on, uh, Mary Robinette, and making Hopefully. us uh, feel slightly better.
3: Well, thank I you feel for having, having me. Better. I'm yeah. glad you two are as delightful as promised by David and Hope. Aww. So we have a lot uh, to live up they, they, they had such a good time. They, they, they were wonderful. Really, yeah, they, and I, I loved watching. I watched the, the conversation. I, it was such a good Like you all are wonderful very kind, generous hosts. Oh, so thank, you. thank you for that. Thank You're
1: you. so nice. All Ryan, right. we're totally keeping that part in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, what a wonderful conversation. I I'm inspired. Want, I want to be a writer even more now. I want to just take I, all of the things oh. I've learned and Channel it into words.
1: I love talking to writers. I just love it. I me do. too.
0: Me too. So, We're inspired all around.
1: Let's go write some books. All,
0: all right. right. Me and you, we got a book to write. Let's do it. Uh, okay. let's also say that you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tweedo. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly's <laughs> at Shelly Moot. Yep. <laughs> Uh, If you want to find everything about Dungeons and Dragons, you can go to uh, DungeonsandDragons.com or download the Dragon Plus app to your device and you will get so many informations beamed to it that you will not know what to do. It's amazing.
1: There's going to be a lot. I know that that next issue is going to be so chock full. That your head is going to
0: go. And then you're going to have to put it back together again. And it's going yes. to be an a ex- fun activity. It <laughs> on includes instructions. How to reassemble. On
1: how to put your head your, back your together head. after we have blown your mind. Uh,
0: so uh, that's awesome. Uh, follow all those things. We will be back with more Dragon Talks as always in the coming weeks. And then I have to say uh, what is going to happen now with Drunky Two-Shoes as the figure oh, that you had been pursuing and having an altercation with that demanded uh, a amulet, amulet that you didn't know nothing about uh, from you know, wearing the face of your brother or littermate, uh, Daryl Two-Shoes, um, disappeared in your hands and you were left with nothing but the robe that the creature was yeah. wearing. What and I was you like
1: smelling the robe and trying to get some clues as to like who this being really was. Um, I think... I think in the vision wasn't Daryl like it it I it looked like he was on a ship or something.
0: You Didn't did see, like yes, you did get a sense. So that, I'm gonna uh, from an earlier one that that was the thing. So what are you gonna do?
1: Uh, Drunky's gonna run down to the port with that robe in her hand, and she's just gonna she's gonna put on the robe.
0: Oh, okay. So you're gonna put on and the she's robe. She's gonna
1: walk around, yeah, and is, then uh, run. Po- so are you gonna? Robe-
0: here we'll do it with a uh, simple athletics okay. check. So, what's your? Uh, uh, are, are you are you trying to go there as fast as you can, type of running, or yes. is it just like a? Yes. Okay,
1: I'm just gonna run like hell down to the beach, the port.
0: All right, so I got a 13 on the die, uh, and I'm probably uh, super fast. Yeah, I think you are super fast. So it takes you only, uh, you know, a fraction of a, of a of an hour to get down to the port. Um, okay. and, but you are a little bit winded, uh, by the end, uh, but you know, not anything to have any ex- exhaustion or anything like that. Uh, I but like as a you're.
1: Sauce <sighs> milk can't yeah.
0: So do you want to go get some, some milk? Maybe that's what we're. Well, well end I'm
1: wearing you, my robe and I'm hoping that like maybe somebody recognizes or thinks that I'm, I'm somebody like, okay. like this robe looks like some, the, the person who owned this robe is, would be rec- recognized. So okay, yeah, so I'm just wanna, gonna like walk through the crowds, kind of like my hood up a little, so they can't see my kitty face.
0: Oh okay, it's hard. You it's, to, it's hard to, to hide a
1: tabaxi. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, all right. Oh. And so I will, uh, you know what? We'll pick this up next time with a either a deception roll to see how well you hide, or uh, or a stealth or, or a perception to see if you see anyone know, might notice uh, what's happening. Okay. But, uh, you're in the middle of a crowd right now. Lots of. Uh, 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 peoples uh, from the Forgotten Realms areas all over, uh, and if they're milling about, and it's it's a it's a bustling little town, and that's where we'll end it.
1: What will happen? All right. in this town, I'll find you, terrible. <laughs>